Welcome to Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. Today's guest is British author David Icke, who has written 20 books and travelled to over 55 countries since 1990. His books reveal how a hidden hand is behind world-changing events like the attacks of 9-11 and the manufactured wars in the Middle East. As part of a mass mind manipulation technique, he is dubbed Problem Reaction Solution. While being controversial and often heavily attacked, David Icke has driven on with his unrelenting investigation into subject areas that others don't dare touch. He reveals information that has been kept from a dumbed-down population and has allowed the establishment to treat them as nothing more than slaves to a sinister hidden agenda. David Icke, you're extremely welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are you today? I'm good, John. I'm very good. I've just been out for a very long walk. Well, a long walk for me anyway. And... uh, me, me body's willing, uh, or the spirit's willing, and me body's uh, just about finished it. So uh, I'll use my mind now. Me body's sitting in this chair and needs to, I tell you. Well, that's all we ask of you. And uh, what better way to prepare yourself, I suppose, for an interview? Uh, David, tell us a little bit about your background as well, because there will be listeners who won't be overly familiar with you. Um, yes, no one's overly familiar with me. <laughs> uh, I uh, was uh, a, a guy brought up on a, a council estate in Leicester, um, and uh, from very early on in my childhood, I wanted to be a footballer. So that was my goal. Well, it would be. And uh, I was a goalkeeper, and uh, people were telling me, "Oh, you, you, you know, not many people become professional footballers. So you know, what else? You, what are you really going to do, basically?" And I always said, "I'm going to be a footballer." And I left school at 15, never took any exams, uh, went to be a footballer and um, played for Coventry City and one or two others. Uh, but from the age of 15 and a half, my uh, left knee started to swell up for no reason. Then other joints did. It turned out I had rheumatoid arthritis. So um, at the age of uh, 21, just my career ended. And I had always been interested in journalism, uh, writing. And so that's what I went into. And I... I was trying to get a job on a newspaper um, somewhere in the country. Having left school at 15, uh, the nearest I went to university was playing for Oxford United for three months. And uh, it was like, you must be joking. But uh, I got a job on a weekly paper, funny enough, in Leicestershire, that was just about read by the people that wrote it. Not many people more than that. You know, it would have been uh, uh, on a life support machine if it had been human in terms of its circulation. Right. But the funny thing is, once you get in, people stop asking you about your education qualifications. It's ridiculous. And I went on to work for uh, independent radio and BBC television. And uh, then towards the end of the 90s, uh, well, actually the 80s rather, and, and actually more like the middle of the 80s, I started to get very interested in the environment and what we were doing. And I got into politics eventually trying to make a difference and uh, became national spokesman for the green party it was ludicrously quick time you have to pinch yourself yeah and then the big thing was that changed my life completely was um i went through a if you might call it a spiritual awakening i'm not talking religion here my goodness me god save us from religion but i'm talking a a, a totally new way of looking at life and i started on a journey uh, in a 
about 1990, though it really started in 89. Um, and uh, I've been going on ever since. And it, I've been to 55 countries. I've spoken in uh, uh, most of them, and the rest were researching. And um, it's led me on a journey that has opened up the world to me in the most extraordinary way, both about the nature of reality itself and also about the forces behind those that appear to be in power in the world that are really in power. Uh, and there's a reason why in countries all over the world, whether you vote for this party or that party, the same agenda, the same things keep unfolding. For instance, uh, Tony Blair brought massive uh, Big Brother legislation in mm -hmm. uh, during his 10 years. Gordon Brown followed it up. And then uh, Cameron came in saying, we must roll back the Big Brother state. And once he got in, he's he, he's been Big Brother on steroids. And, and this is the same with Obama following Bush. Oh, you know, oh, no, he's anti-war well, like Eki is, you know, and away he goes doing the Bush thing on steroids. So, you know, I st all this... Uh, this research, this traveling, this amazing synchronicity and coincidences in my life over the last nearly quarter of a century now have, have, have led me to this information, which I, I put together in what I call a, an exercise in dot connecting. And you realize that what appears on the face of it to be completely unconnected subjects, um, periods, whether historical or present day, uh, people, uh, events, all of it that seem to be unconnected actually are fundamentally connected and it's it's not a series of dots it's not a series of strands that you uncover it's actually strands in the same tapestry and the world becomes much more explainable in terms of current world events what's happened in ireland with with the financial uh, crash and the uh, the euro and all that stuff all can be explained once you realize what the big picture is and that's the fascinating thing about your work. The, the first uh, of your books that I read was The Biggest Secret, David. And I was really struck by the breadth and how all-encompassing that was as a single book because it touched on so much of the geopolitical situation and it went right back in time to ancient cultures and myths and legends, that kind of thing. But that was really only the tip of the iceberg in terms of the knowledge that you have uh, you've managed to uncover at this stage. So... You're, you're talking about things from, as you say, you're dot connecting. So you could talk about something on a spiritual level on one hand and you could talk about Tony Blair on the other hand and the dots do connect. So I guess when for you did things start to really make sense or pieces of the jigsaw puzzle start to fall into place once you embarked on this journey of research and I suppose awakening, if you want to call it that? Well, I mean... The the analogy of the jigsaw, uh, John, is very apt because it's been like um, being handed pieces in a puzzle. Mm. And, you know, when you uh, are, are doing a jigsaw puzzle, I guess people have different ways of doing it. But um, what, what I used to do um, is to look for the straight pieces. And the straight pieces uh, then give you the frame in which you then start adding the other pieces. And the more pieces you add the clearer the picture becomes so you can actually see where the later pieces go much easier than the earlier ones. And that's what it's been like. And for me, um, the, uh, the, the, the real pennies began to drop once I saw symbolically the straight pieces, the frame. Because when you say 
a few people and compared with 7 billion plus it is a tiny few people are actually controlling the direction of world events and the direction of human society the the the, the question immediately comes and it's understandable is it's impossible a few people couldn't couldn't control and direct the lives of 7 billion i mean the numbers don't add up mm-hmm. but once you realize how they do it and, and and when you realize that you realize actually it, it's actually quite straightforward um the way that it's possible to do this then um you start to see how it's possible. And once it, you see how it's possible, then you can start to go deeper into uh, who's behind it and why and where they've come from. This is where you go into the historical part of it. Where has this force come from that is behind world events today and has been throughout known human history? Um, uh, and, and where do they want to take us? That's the other part of it. And that's why, you know, when I talk at events like uh, Wembley Arena on the 27th of, uh, of October, I'm going to be talking for nine hours um, in an event lasting something like 12. It's because there, there are four sections and um, it's going to be more uh, deep down the rabbit hole than ever before because you're continually learning more and understanding more. And in many ways, it becomes simpler the more you know because you can see how they do it. And it's about the nature of reality, uh, which is fundamental. We have to understand that because the, the nature of reality, this solid world that we get indoctrinated to believe in, is not the understanding of the the forces, the networks, the families that are behind this. They understand the, the, the nature of uh, the reality that we're experiencing, which isn't solid. I mean, quantum physics has known that for a while. It's actually um, illusory, which, which, which means it's much more fluid and could be changed and manipulated in a much more fundamental way. And then you uh, ask the question, well, where has this come from? Because this has not been going on for five years or 50 years um, or even 500. Um, and then... The, the question is what's happening today and why and how are they doing it or the banking crashes and the wars and all the rest of it and then what do we do about it um, and all these things uh, are one seamless web if you like um, but it appears when you turn on the news and you go about your daily life that everything is apart from everything else and you think well why are they doing this? This is obviously going to have this bad outcome for people. I mean, why don't they do it this way? Because it, it, obviously it will be better for people if they do it this way. Once you realize that they don't want it for better, better for people, they actually want an outcome um, which is akin to the, uh, the world described by Orwell's 1984 and by Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and all this stuff, then you start to realize why they're doing so many things that have bad outcomes for people because that's what they want. And, and this is the, uh, the, the great tapestry of information that I've put together over the last uh, 20, 22, 23 years. And, you know, I've done it full time. And like I said earlier, I've been to 55 countries. That's what it takes to uncover this. So what chance has anybody got of doing that when they, they, they go and, uh, you know, work, work a, a job for a living for their family, like five uh, or more days a week, uh, come home tired, they have their tea, they watch a bit of telly and go, go, to, go to bed and get up and the whole thing starts again. Um, uh, how, what chance have they got of unpicking this? None. Which is which is why you know I've um, 
dedicated my life. I mean, I work 12, 15 hours a day on this, almost, uh, you know, six, sometimes seven days a week mm-hmm. to, to actually um, using that time to connect these dots that, that other people are going about their daily lives simply don't have the time to do. But David, let's take those people then, okay, who uh, I'm, I'm John and I'm sitting in my two up, two down in Carlo and I like watching the game on TV and maybe a bit of X Factor and I go to work nine to five because I'm lucky enough still to have a job. I know what the world is about. It's about knuckling down and fine, we're in straightened times now, but we just got to put up with that, don't we? And I know that uh, I've got my five senses and that's my reality. And you just take the lot that's presented to you. Is that not what life is about, David? Well, the foundation of the whole suppression of humanity is to sell us from cradle to grave a false Mm -hmm. self-identity. You know, if you had 7 billion people plus who realize that their name and their job and their family history and, and their life story were not who they were, but what they were experiencing and who they were was an expression of an infinite um, limitless awareness that is having that experience. Uh, then trying to control, suppress and herd 7 billion people in that level of self-awareness would be, well, it'd be a joke. Don't even start where well, you're going to start impossible. Yeah. So this conspiracy fundamental bottom line before we could go into any detail about banking scams and political scams and engineered wars mm-hmm. um, is to make this infinite awareness so programmed so capture its point of attention and self-identity that it believes it is Ethel Jones I work down the store I was born in Dublin in 19. 19- 48 um i went to this catholic school and then i got myself a job and then i got married and uh i'm just little me i'm just joe public what i have no power Uh, then if you program someone into that self-identity then you put lots of people like that together and, and you can control them and you can manipulate them, and you can herd them, and you can direct them in the way you want them to go, and you can do it without challenge or effective challenge because the people you're targeting have been convinced they have no power to challenge you anyway. Indeed, because they're so head down trying to survive because of the way you've orchestrated the uh, economic system, they have not had time to, to lift their head and look around and go, so that's what's going on. So they don't even know you exist, never mind what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and this is the, the, the life story of billions of people, generation after generation after generation. And I've used the key word there, survival. And you can add to survival, um, capturing attention. Uh, because if you can get people to wake up every day having to survive another day financially, another week financially, another month financially. Um, If you can um, focus the attention of people on survival and those that are more financially fortunate, 
you focus their attention on achievement, on a career, or, or, or people who are into uh, religion, you focus their attention on a religion. Mm. What you're doing, John, is you're focusing people on dots. You're focusing on a dot, I've got to survive, and it's a very big dot these days. You're focusing people on the Christian religion, it's a dot, that's my life. You can focus people on Manchester United. Yeah. And it's a dodge. You can focus people on, oh, I, I want to you know, have this successful banking career, political career, legal career, whatever, media career. It's a dot. And when you're looking at a dot, in that focus, you lose peripheral vision. And it's in the peripheral vision where the dots connect. And if you're only focusing on one, you're not even seeing most of the others, never mind seeing they're actually expressions of the same tapestry. And, and this is how it's done. And then you've got divide and rule because what you've got is a situation where there is one infinite awareness, one infinite consciousness, and we uh, are different expressions of it. We're different points of attention within that consciousness. So someone who's obsessed with Manchester United, his, his point of attention is Manchester United. Um, and, and someone else's point of attention is survival or whatever. Yeah. But if we just um, awaken and open our minds, these cliches that have these fundamental truths in them, if we just open our, our minds, what are we doing? We are expanding our point of attention. Um, we're no longer totally myopically focused on one dot. Now we're kind of expanding our point of attention. We're starting to encompass other dots. Now we've got a chance of seeing how, how, how they connect. Symbolically, it's like standing in front of a wall about half an inch away, and you're staring at that wall, and you're trying to work out what's going on. You're trying to work out what it is. You're trying to work out where you are. That's what happens when you focus on, on, on dots uh, to, the, to the exclusion of everything else. But you start walking backwards and now you're expanding your field of vision and awareness. Now you see the brick is part of a house. Now you see the house is part of a street. The street is part of a town and so and so and so on. You go on. Mm -hmm. So you go out to a spaceship and you see that actually the brick is part of a, a planet and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a universe. So the point of your attention is key because that's going to um, give you the fix on who you are, where you are, and the nature of what's going on. And this is why it's so important. It, you know, if people do not have any kind of open mind, they shouldn't listen to a word I say because they're wasting their time and they should never come to an event or read any book of mine. Absolute waste of time because it's, it's challenging people not saying you must believe this, but it's challenging people to encompass a greater view of everything, to see how the dots connect. And when you do, for instance, um, let's, uh, let's take a, a, a topical uh, subject, uh, there's financial situation in Ireland. Mm -hmm. On the face of it, it's a dot. Brian Cowan and the clowns uh, uh, in, his, in his, you know, circus yep. made terrible mistakes and 
crash the Irish economy, not because the Irish economy or the Irish people um, were fundamentally uh, to blame for that, but because fantastic amounts of money were taken from the people through the government and handed to banks uh, who got themselves into terrible trouble through outrageous, grotesque greed. Um, then um, in come the IMF and the European Union, and they say, we'll bail you out, but you uh, have to take uh, this package of things that you have to do. And this package of things means austerity for the people uh, who have not been responsible for it and all the rest of it. Now, you can look at it at that level. But then you can look at it like this, that from the 1980s during Reagan-Bush right through to 2008 when the initial uh, financial crash happened, yeah. Checks and balances on the banks and the financial institutions were systematically removed and taken away. And, and, and what they knew, given the financial system as it is, that if you take the checks and balances away, then unfettered greed is going to run riot and it's going to crash the system. You, you know that. So the system crashes. And... Uh, at that time, you had a situation where uh, the banks were in trouble. The people and the governments were not too bad. The banks were in trouble. Yeah. S and in a, in a sleight of hand, that trouble was transferred from the banks to the governments to the people. And it was done by the governments using vast amounts of borrowed money to bail out the banks. And then, because the, the big massive bailouts got governments into trouble, now they are in financial stock and they need bailing out by the IMF and the European Central Bank, etc., which is our money anyway. And suddenly, the IMF and the European Central Bank and the European Union are saying, we'll bail you out but you've got to do A, B, and C, which, as I said earlier, means austerity for the people. So the banks crash because of the bank's greed. That uh, financial uh, hole is then transferred to the government, and it's from the government it's transferred to the people. Now all over Europe, indeed all over the world, because the American, American economy is in terrible trouble. It's just a disaster waiting to crash. It, it's over there. Matter of time. Um, the people are losing their homes. People are losing their jobs and their livelihoods uh, through no fault of their own. They want to go to work. They, they, they're not you know, saying, I don't want to work. But there's no work because the economy's crashed because of the actions of the banks. But the, the banks are still running and paying themselves enormous buddy bonuses, most of them all over the world. It's been the biggest transfer of wealth from the richest few to the many, uh, or from the many rather to the richest few in the whole of human history, probably. And um, we've watched it before our eyes. And so when you put it in that context, what happened in Ireland was just a dot within a great tapestry of financial manipulation. Yeah. So what's going on? What, you, what we need to understand uh, to, to get a fix on the world and why these events happen, including wars and all the rest of it, is where, do, where does this uh, network of families and secret societies want to take us? Uh, 
They want to take us into a world where a world government uh, makes all the major decisions in the world, um, where it has a world central bank that um, controls all world finance, that has a single world currency, which would be electronic, no cash, for which there are fundamental implications for freedom, because at the moment, if you um, go with a credit card, electronic money into a store or something, uh, and, and it won't accept your card, at least you can pay cash. When they take cash out of circulation and there's one single electronic currency, which is where, where they want, and cash is going out of circulation so fast, uh, then when that machine says no to your uh, electronic money, there is no alternative to purchase except barter. That's the idea, control. So they, they also want a microchip population, which people laughed at me years ago when I said that that was on the agenda. And, and now it's being um, introduced in various guises around the world um, already. So that's where they want to take us. They also want a world army to replace national armies. National armies would become... Um, uh, parts of the world army with a world army uh, ruling elite dictating what it does. And the world army is designed to impose the will of the world government on any country, community or region that does not want to take its uh, diktats. Now, we have a world government already in um, a de facto form and it's called uh, the International Community, the United Nations Security Council, the G8, and all the rest of it. And we have a de facto world army imposing its will called NATO. And so you have a situation where they pass some, oh, no, this Gaddafi, oh, no, he's a terrible man, and all that stuff. So send the boys in. The world army goes in to impose the will of the world government upon Libya, upon Iraq, upon all these other countries. That's happening now in, um, in more and more extreme stages because it's where they want to take us. So that's where they want to take us. So in terms of... Um, how they take us there, there are two basic techniques of mass-minded emotional manipulation. One I call uh, problem-reaction-solution, where you create a problem covertly. It could be an economic crash. It could be a 9-11. It could be uh, anything uh, uh, that uh, causes a major problem in society. Yeah. You then um, tell the people the version of that problem that you want them to believe. It's not the truth. Because you've covertly created it yourself, but you tell the people it was because of this, that, or, or some guy with a beard uh, in a cave in Afghanistan that all this happened. Mm -hmm. And what you're looking for at stage two of problem, reaction, solution is a reaction, a reaction, a response from the public to the manufactured problem. You're looking for fear, you're looking for outrage, and you're looking for something must be done, what are they going to do about it? At which point you have covertly created the problem, got that reaction, then offer the solutions to the problems you have created. And um, the other technique is what I call the totalitarian tiptoe. I'm going to describe the European Union here. Okay. You start at stage A and you know you're going to Z. But um, you know if you go from A to Z too quickly, the change is going to be so great that people are going to look up from the game shows and the football and they're going to say, what the heck's going on? So you go from A to Z as 
quickly as you can, but not so quickly as to alert too many people that there's a pattern and a direction here. Um, and uh, this is how the uh, European Union uh, became the centralized fascist communist dictatorship that essentially is now a centralized bureaucracy. Um, after starting out as a, oh, it's just a free trade area, nothing to worry about, it's, it's good for jobs uh, and all the rest of it. And when you um, look at some of the people that started the European Union, like the, the Frenchman Jean Monnet, who was a uh, frontman for the, uh, the House of, uh, of, of Rothschild, they are massively involved, they are, um, you see their their private quotes at the time that we're talking decades ago and you see what the game is and why we've ended up where we are now Jean Monnet is called the founding father of the uh, European Union as it's become and he said in a letter to a friend the day after I was born 60, 60 years ago, April the 30th 1952, he said Europe's nations should be guided towards the super state without their people understanding what is happening this can be accomplished by successive steps each disguised as having an economic purpose but which will eventually and irreversibly lead to federation so what we've had here um, is a stepping stone from it's just a free trade zone more and more oh well if we just centralize this it would be more efficient and we'll centralize and we've now ended up with a bureaucratic dictatorship dictating to hundreds of millions of people in fine detail of their lives all over Europe now one of the things on the wish list um, is a single electronic currency a world currency for everybody so the euro is not an end it's a means to an end you see um, the euro at some point I'm not saying tomorrow the euro at some point is going to crash mm. why because it has to crash it has not to work so that they can take that problem and offer the solution which is this world currency the more they crash the world economy the more they say we'll have to restructure the whole world economy to sort out these problems and it will be restructured in their image the other thing that they they want e economically is a world central bank as a result of the crash since 2008 these institutions and 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 the these front men that work for these families and these networks like george soros and the roman churches uh, catholic churches come out both of them and called for a world central bank to sort out the problem problem reaction solution so what we've um seen with the euro it's simply a mopping up exercise in one great fell swoop on the stepping stones the totalitarian tiptoe to the world single currency the euro has been the stalking horse to remove the mark the gilder the lira all of these things uh the irish currency uh, and re uh, and take them out of circulation so now we basically uh, in most of europe down to one that's one step from the world currency. This is how you have to see how the dots connect to realize where they're going. Now, because of this, and this relates to Ireland as well, because this European project, just one of this great tapestry of, of things they want to change in the world, because it is fundamental to their agenda, to the outcome they want of uh, economic and political centralized bureaucratic tyranny mm -hmm. um, 
they cannot possibly take no for an answer with this little nicety like referendums where the people reject their next dose of centralization. So, whenever a European country has voted against, in referendums, public referendums, against something they want in terms of more centralization of power, these people have not accepted the will of the people. They have waited a while. Uh, are you listening, Ireland? Are you, do, do, do you sound familiar? They've waited a while, uh, manipulated in the background, and then had another referendum to change the result. That's what happened in Ireland. Ireland could have stopped so much if they'd have voted against it because at that point, the European Constitution or the European you know, treaties, uh, whatever, um, would, would not have been able to go forward. So they had to have another referendum. And whether it was by uh, absolute uh, fraud or by changing the minds of enough people in Ireland, they got eventually what they wanted. Have you ever known them, John, to have another referendum, just checking after the people voted for what they want? No. Never happens. And then when the Dutch and the French voted massively against uh, the uh, so-called European constitution, it was so massive that even they realized that how long are they going to have to wait before they could change that result? No, they weren't going to. So what did they do? They said, we're going to change the name of the Constitution to a treaty. Yeah. We're going to keep in actually 98% of what was in the Constitution, but we're going to call it a treaty. Ah, we referendum result now because they voted against Constitution, but it's not a Constitution anymore, honest. It's a treaty. And so the Lisbon Treaty went through and an island voted for the Lisbon Treaty and the second referendum and what happened we crossed the Rubicon we crossed that point where so much power was now centrally um, hoarded by the bureaucracy, uh, bureaucracy in Brussels that they can basically do what they like and what's happened since the Lisbon Treaty is we've had centralization of power on steroids and they want more and more problems to which they can offer more and more solutions. What has happened as a result of the uh, terrible economic situation in, in Greece where people are selling or giving away their children because they can't feed them, where people are committing suicide because they feel they have no hope. Uh, what's happening in, in Spain, what's happening in Portugal, what's happening in Italy. As a result of that, they're saying what we need, this, this Herman von Rumpoy, Rumpy Pumpy, crikey, <laughs> I wouldn't trust that guy to tell me the time in a room full of clocks. What are they calling for? And this Barroso, this commission buddy leader, they're calling for more centralization of power for the bureaucracy to solve the problem of the European economic crisis. They have no shame. But without this background knowledge, John, of the, of the, of the goal of this and the methods used to get there, people are looking up, understandably, saying, what's going on? I don't like it, but what's happening? And, and, and some people are saying, as you mentioned earlier, oh, it's all right, it's not good now, but we'll come. No, you won't. I'll tell you why you won't come out of it. They don't want you to come out of it until changes take place which suit them, by which time the solution is in place, and then they'll move on to the next problem. And that kind of leads me on, David. I mean, we speak about uh, the cause and effect, but there is also another why, and it's, I suppose it's more a who than why, because... 
As I look at the news every day, and it doesn't matter what my source of news happens to be, um, there are there are a number of states or governments that seem to be able to act with impunity, such as the US or uh, Britain, for that matter. There's also an elephant in the room, and to my mind, that's Israel, because I can't understand how a country like Israel can, for example, get away with um, their, their nuclear policy while they'll shite from a height on Iran, for example, and they're backed all the while by the US government. So we're, we're, we're talking geop- geopolitics here, but does it go beyond that? Or are we talking about big business and big business only or the power of government? Surely it goes deeper than that again, does it? Oh, very much so. And, uh, and like I say, this has not been going on for five minutes. Um, it might help if I, if I explain how the, the, the whole thing came about, really, as briefly as I can. This goes back thousands of years uh, to uh, families that came out of uh, the Middle East, places like uh, ancient Sumer and Babylon, Egypt. Mm. Babylon is the land we now call Iraq, um, Mesopotamia. And they moved up into Rome. They became the Roman Empire or the rulers of the Roman Empire. Uh, And they became the... um, royal and aristocratic families of northern Europe and they ruled by royal and aristocratic dictatorship. There came a point where these a bloodline, the divine right of kings and all that is all part of it, um, were facing a rebellion from people who had had enough of royal dictatorship and there was this massive sleight of hand where the royal dictatorships uh, either disappeared or a- apparently lost power, like the British royal family and all that stuff, like hell they have, if you look, if you look at the, uh, the, the power they have uh, in the background. Um, and they were replaced by the dark suits of politicians and bankers and industrialists and corporations. But they were the same bloodlines. They... Um, may not have had a crown on their head, but they were the same bloodlines. It's a network of families. And what, they've, uh, what they did was to, uh, through the European empires, not least the British, landed uh, their influence all over the world. And when they went into the Americas, into Africa, into Asia and Australia and New Zealand, they um, obviously expanded and took these bloodlines out to these uh, far-flung places. And they took with them the secret society network, which covertly manipulates these people and their agents into power to dictate society on all levels, corporations, banks, politicians, military, all of it, media. And then there came this apparent point where the powers of Europe, the colonial powers of Europe, uh, gave independence to the former colonies. And the British Empire rolled back and these other empires rolled back. But that was only on the surface. What happened is what was left out in these former colonies, former colonies, as they claim to be, mm-hmm. was the bloodline under different names, doesn't go under one name, multiple names, and the secret society networks that manipulate them into power, they stayed there. And they've gone on controlling those countries ever since in line with a global uh, agenda. And what they've created 
is a secret society uh, version of a transnational corporation. If you take someone like McDonald's or anyone, these transnational corporations, if you go into a McDonald's anywhere in the world, in any country in the world, you're going into basically the same McDonald's. It's a global um, image. It's a global way of doing things. uh, And it's dictated globally. It's dictated from the center that all this is done the same. Uh, You have in each country the McDonald's uh, of that country, and they work to a blueprint dictated from the headquarters. And woe betide if they, uh, you know, move off from it. What these network of families have done is created a global version using secret societies. So the center of this web, the headquarters, if you like, is in Europe. It's in places like the city of London, Paris, Berlin, Rome, uh, Belgium. Uh, Brussels, and it dictates the global agenda, the way it's going to move. To a certain extent, it's in the United States, yes, but not as much as you'd think. In so many ways, the United States is is the diversion. You look to the United States as the big bad uh, one behind it, and in terms of firing the guns, it is, but a lot of the guns are actually loaded in Europe covertly, not least in Britain, in London. Mm-hmm by the governments, but by the, the, the secret society center that's based in places like London and Rome. And so in each country, you have a network of families and um, secret societies that has the job of imposing the centrally dictated agenda upon their country in terms of banking, finance, um, government, uh, media, and all these institutions that dictate society. And so the center dictates the global agenda, and each of these uh, satellite, uh, if you like, subsidiary networks that we call countries, those uh, secret society networks impose the central agenda in their sphere of influence. And this is why when I travel around the world, I see the same things happening in different countries, often at the same time, using the same excuses, because it's centrally coordinated. And so um, you have the center of the web. And the center of the web, what I call the spider, is uh, dominated because these families are also a hierarchy by uh, families like the royal families of Europe to a a large extent, but there's also uh, the banking families like the House of Rothschild, the House of Rockefeller, etc. And the House of Rothschild comes up again and again, ancient and modern. The House of Rothschild did not create Zionism, what I call Rothschild Zionism, to keep underpinning the true creators and controllers of it. Tell us what Zionism is, uh, David. Zionism, even in its uh, play-out expression, is a political system. It's a political view Mm. that things should happen. But at its core, this is what people miss, it's another secret society and a very, very important one. And so I call it Rothschild Zionism because the Rothschilds created it. The Rothschilds orchestrated the um, imposition on the Palestinians of the state of Israel. Some breakaway members of the Rothschild family have confirmed this and said that, Roth- that Israel is just the fiefdom of the Rothschilds. I mean, it's no good, you know, people saying, oh, it's all the Jewish people, it's the Israelis. You've got um, 400,000 Israelis 
on the streets of Israel protesting about their financial plight. Mm. You've Israelis, Jewish people in Israel recently who've actually committed suicide by setting themselves alight in protest at the economic plight of Israelis. With, see, this is the point. The hierarchy in Israel answers to the spider, not to the people of Israel. It answers to the spider. The hierarchy that runs America answers to the spider. The hierarchy of Britain answers to the spider. The hierarchy of Ireland answers to the spider. That's why Brian Cowan acted in the way he did. Any decent man with an ounce of decency left would have walked away from the mess that he created with his mates. I say not not, not uh, uh, by accident either, personally. Yeah. He would have said, I've created this mess. I'm walking away to let someone sort it out. No. He said, I won't resign until the austerity program and the situation agreements with the IMF, etc. are in place. Why? Because there was a danger that if he came out, someone might come in and say, we're not doing it. And you're dead right, because this astonished a lot of people in Ireland at the time, the gall of him, because he was, well, pretty much the most maligned man at the time in Ireland because of what was going on. And rather than walk away, he did literally give the middle finger to the people and said, no, I'm going to oversee this. I'm going to make sure this happens. And it's exactly what he did. You've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, but you know why he did it? Because he was terrified not to do it. This, this, um, I mean, you know, when I look at Brian Cowan, I mean, you know, I mean, is there life on Brian Cowan? I'm not sure. I don't see much brain cell activity myself, but he's just a front man. He's like, there's, there's basically three types of people that become at the top level of politics. There's the tiny few who actually are in on the game to some considerable extent, support it and take those decisions based on that support for the agenda. There's the, the, the second one that, that is compromised in endless ways and therefore is terrified of doing anything except doing what they're told in the, in the, by, by those in the shadows because they know that if they don't, then what they've got to hide is coming out. So many are in that situation. And there's the other type that just want power and prestige and all that stuff just for the sake of it and know that they have to please these people in the shadows if they're going to do it and they have to do that by doing what those in the shadows tell them but you know when the referendum in ireland the first one was going uh, uh, pear-shaped in terms of the result that the european union uh, hierarchy wanted the fear on um, cowan's face was was there to see Mm. He was told, this, this is how it works, you do not leave office until this is in place. And, and, and therefore, he did exactly what you've uh, uh, described that he did. And uh, the man should be in jail, never mind in exile, away from politics. He should be in jail, what he's done to Ireland and its people. I agree. But these people, they, they, they get away with it because, of course, the, the people control the, the, the orchestration of... Um, uh, of the 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 next people that come in as well. I mean, you know, the way that the Cameron government has gone out of its way to protect Tony Blair, apparently the opposition, from actually uh, facing the uh, consequences uh, legally of his actions uh, in office has been, you know, blatant. This is how it works. You, you know, we're supposed to have two political parties in 
every now and again we might get a, a bit of one as an alternative but mostly we don't have any alternative at all because they're controlled by the same force so you then um, have this situation then where um, these networks in the individual countries um, dicta, dictate to those countries and push those countries in the same direction dictated from the center. Now, one of these major secret societies, um, like I say, is Rothschild Zionism. And so you get this extraordinary situation in America. I've documented it in my books. The Jewish population of America is less than 2%. And many people, uh, uh, Jewish people, are not Zionists. They don't yeah. believe in Zionism. People uh, have no idea how many Jewish people go on rallies and protest, because the media never covers it, protesting against uh, Zionism and what it's doing to the Palestinians and all the rest of it. Massive rallies sometimes in places like America. But it's never reported. So people think that everyone who's Jewish must be a Zionist. It's not really true. And many of the people who are Jewish and consider themselves Zionists only do so because they don't understand what actually Zionism really is. Mm. And, and the number of uh, Rothschild Zionists in positions of power the, in America, the Rothschild Zionists completely controlled uh, the Bush administration through organizations like... Uh, the project for the new American century, which yeah. was behind the uh, invasion of Iran, uh, of um, Iraq, and the invasion of, of Afghanistan, etc., um, is incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable. There have been books written about it. Like, hold on a second. Less than 2% of the population, but everywhere you seem to look, there they are. They control Hollywood, Rothschild Zionists. They control the American media. Pe Jewish people have come out and said this. Oh, of course we do. Anyone who says we don't is talking ridiculous. Look at the names. Then you've got Rothschild Zionism controlling clearly Israel and people like Netanyahu. And you've got them controlling uh, Britain through Rothschild Zionists like David Cameron, etc. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the same in so many other countries around the world. So their first allegiance is not to the people. It's to Rothschild Zionism, a secret society. And by the way, there's very few things um, that um, Joe Biden, the deputy president of the United States, has said in his life, probably, that I agree with. But one thing is undeniably true. He said once, you do not have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. Some of the major Zionists in uh, America are the Christian Zionists. People like this John Hagee and all these people that get into the pulpit, they're not Jewish. They're Christians, but they're Christian Zionists because Zionism is not a race. It's on one level a political philosophy, and on another level deeper, it's a secret society. So when you then see, John, the uh, bewildering, on the face of it, if you don't understand the background, mm. fantastic amounts of money that are given by the American government to the Israeli government for weapons and other things. It obviously doesn't get to the people, or they wouldn't be, you know, setting themselves alight in protest at the economic plight. It goes to the elite of Israel, and it comes from the elite of America. Um, it's because it's one hand of Rothschild Zionism handing to another end of Rothschild Zionism. This is how it works. This is why no matter what Israel does... America will never come out against them anywhere, never mind in the UN Security Council. Same with Britain. Same thing, because 
all three countries are controlled by the same force. Same with France under Sarkozy, probably under the new guy as well. Um, and, and this is how it works. This is what's going on um, in the background. And of course, as I've been talking about for years and years, part of this agenda is to create a third world war which um, would be a massive global problem, just like the first two, to which they can offer a massive global solution. Now, the solutions um, to the uh, proposed and introduced to World War One and World War Two were massive centralizations of power. After the um, First World War, we had the League of Nations. That didn't quite work. They have a Second World War. They have its successor, the United Nations, which is a stalking horse for world government. They have the uh, IMF, the Bretton Woods uh, Agreement, uh, which became the World Bank and all that stuff. And all these centralized uh, global bodies came as a result of the problem-reaction-solution of world wars. What they want is a Third World War to complete that process. And there was a letter written um, by a man called Albert Pike, who was an infamous frontman for, for this uh, global network. He was one of the m- most famous and lauded Freemasons I- in America. And he wrote a letter um, to another agent, if you like, called Giuseppe Mazzini, uh, obviously Italian, in 1871 in which he described three world wars that would transform the world. He described the First World War and what would happen. He was, that was accurate. He did it the Second World War. It was accurate. And this is what he said in the letter about the Third World War. The Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the adjoncteur of the Illuminati, that's one name for this network, between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim Arabic world, and political Zionism, the state of Israel as we call it, must mutually destroy each other. They couldn't care less about Israeli and Jewish people in in Israel. Netanyahu won't be there when the bombs fly. Mm. Meanwhile, this letter from Pike said, the other nations once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. And he goes on to say, then we move in and say the only way to to save everything is to do what we suggest you do, which would be to create the world that they've been working for so long uh, towards. So what we're looking at with what has happened in Iraq what has happened in Afghanistan, what is happening or has happened in, in Libya and the civil war that's now unfolded there, uh, and what they, they are doing in Syria covertly, as they did covertly uh, in, for a start in Libya, and this obsession now for so long of the invasion of Iran is to, yes, get control of vast oil and gas fields, yes, but it's to trigger World War III. I've been saying for years that the idea is to create a trigger out of the Middle East that would bring NATO, the NATO countries, in a world war with the alliance of China and Russia. And we're now seeing this division unfolding where particularly Russia, but China to an extent too, are supporting Syria and they're supporting Um, Iran um, in this uh, problem reaction solution or alleged problem reaction solution of 
um, Iran and, and, and its uh, not nuclear weapons, but plan to have them, it is claimed. Meanwhile, as you mentioned earlier, we have Israel with a vast arsenal of nuclear weapons, courtesy of the United States, um, who have not signed the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And there is an official policy agreement between America and Israel, which uh, Obama said he was going to continue when he came to office, where America doesn't ask about Israel's nuclear arsenal and Israel doesn't talk about it. These are the people that are targeting um, Iran that has not invaded anyone in living memory, while the United States and uh, Israel are two, the two most trigger-happy countries on earth. And so what we're looking at is a plan to pick off country after country across northern Africa and the Middle and Near East. And the, um, uh, the general uh, or the, the, the military leader who was involved in NATO's uh, attack on the former Yugoslavia, etc., a guy called General Wesley Clark, said in a television interview in America in 2007, remember that, 2007, uh, and what's happened since then, mm -hmm. he said that he was told immediately after 9-11 uh, in September 2001 that a coup had been plotted by Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, and what he called half a dozen other collaborators from the Project for the New American Century. And this plot included the invasion of Iraq. This was immediately after 9-11, before Iraq's even nearly mentioned. And Cheney, Rumsfeld, and Wolfowitz were all prominent members of this project for the new american century uh which was controlled by rothschild zionists people like richard pearl paul wolfowitz etc and it's interesting that in september 2000 this project for the new american century um produced a document calling for a a wish list of things it wanted to happen with the incoming Bush administration that they knew was going to win because right. it was going to be made to happen even if he didn't do it legitimately as we, we saw in Florida, etc. Exactly. And what they said was they wanted to invade and take over countries like Libya, um, Syria, Iran, Iraq, etc. And they said, here's the quote, they said in this document, a year before 9-11, the process of transformation, this wish list they wanted to introduce, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. One year later to the month, these people were in power, uh, officially and unofficially, in the Bush administration, and we had 9-11 which is what George Bush called at the time our Pearl Harbor. Exactly. Result of that, this process of transformation 
in this document as unfolded before our eyes and it continues to justified by a war on terrorism when the terrorists are those that are pressing for the war on terrorism. And so going back to Wesley Clark, he said that immediately after 9-11, he was told about this coup and the invasion of Iraq. Six weeks later, he told this television interviewer, he saw the same officer from the Pentagon and he asked him, why haven't we attacked Iraq? Are they still going to attack Iraq? And the officer said, he said to him, sir, it's worse than that. The officer, he said, pulled up a piece of paper off his desk and said, I just got this memo from the Secretary of Defense's office. It says we're going to attack and destroy the governments in seven countries in five years. We're going to start with Iraq, and then we're going to move on to Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. Clark said in the interview that the aim of the plot was, quote, they wanted us to destabilize the Middle East, turn it upside down, and make it under our control. That is what we're seeing. But of course... They can't just come out and say that, so they have to find a different excuse for each country. So what they did with Afghanistan was to say it was Taliban uh, are not letting us have bin Laden and bin Laden was behind it. Absolute lie, but because of that, we're going in. Then, uh, oh, because there's another version of problem reaction solution and that's what i call no problem reaction solution when there's not a real problem you just give the people the belief that there is so we had blair and bush weapons of mass destruction they can hit british targets in 45 minutes and all this nonsense these lies they knew clark said we was told immediately after 9-11 they're going to invade iraq and, they, and Blair and Bush are saying right up to when they invaded in 2003, oh, no, we're still trying to find a way out. This is why uh, David Kelly was murdered. Exactly, Not yeah. Suicide. He was murdered because he knew they were telling lies. And he had a public profile suddenly as a result of, of, uh, of what happened with, in his interview with the BBC correspondent. So um, they have to find an excuse. The excuse was uh, invent one. Weapons of mass destruction. They go in, they slaughter, they kill under and, and maim in excess of a million uh, civilians. And they go in and they're, and they're still there because they, st- they control the country now. And then you go to Libya. What, what we need Libya, what are we going to do now? So what they do is this. They've done the same in Syria. I've, I've put all this in my, in my last book, uh, Remember Who You Are. First of all, They arm, fund, and train um, people to go into Libya as rebels. They then get the rebels with this arsenal they're they're given, and and it was funneled to them through um, Qatar. It actually came out at one point. Qatar is another state of the United States. Um, And... See, they want they want democracy everywhere, but they don't bother about Qatar or Bahrain, are they? No, because they do what they're bloody told. <laughs> and so um, they then get these rebels, alleged, made up, to start attacking government targets. At this point, the media are saying nothing about this. The Libyan authorities, and I'm not, you know, saying, you know. Gaddafi's, uh, you know, an angelic being. No, but would, would people rather live in the Libya before or now? You, uh, no question. 
given what's happening in Libya. It's horrific. Um, and when the um, Libyan uh, government troops reacted to these attacks, that's when the media came in. Oh, Gaddafi's killing his own people. And, and so we had this, what was it? Uh, Resolution 1973 at the uh, UN Security Council right. that was just a, a no-fly zone and all that stuff. There was nothing in it about pepper bombing old cities of civilians, but NATO go in, the de facto world army, and they splatter the place. Then, well, if it worked once, it will work again. We're going to do the same in Syria. And that's why it's been well documented. Um, uh, people that were Libyan rebels then moved to Syria, and now they're Syrian rebels. And they're doing the same thing. They, they start uh, killing government uh, troops and attacking government targets. Nothing said. Storm quiet. Then the government responded. Assad's killing his own people and off we go again. Mark two. Now they, ha they have to find a way of attacking Iran. And um, Iran have attacked no one in living memory. So how do we do this? Well... And they haven't they got a nuclear power? Pro we'll say it, they're building nuclear weapons, uh, and and so that's the excuse they're using. But because of what's gone before, especially Iraq, people are not buying it to the same extent, and they're finding it more difficult. There's no question in my mind that their agenda's timescale meant there would be in Iraq by now, uh, in Iran by now, uh, rather. Uh, but they're not because. The, the aftermath of what happened in I Iraq, etc., has meant they've got more skepticism to deal with. But this is what's happening. And they, what they want is the Syrian situation to uh, roll over into Lebanon so that they can, they can uh, do that and then roll over into uh, Jordan and, and they, they've got the set. And what they're now trying to do is connect Iran to both Lebanon and Syria so that they can say we, we need to... Uh, attack Iran also because they are supporting this these government attacks on uh, their own people in these in these countries because they're going to start claiming that against uh, Lebanon at some point so this is how it all fits together but that's what I've been talking about here is only one small aspect massive as it is for the people involved in the implications of a vast global plan. And that's why, you know, at the Wembley event, I'm going to be talking uh, for nine hours. <laughs> that's why my books are, are, are kind of massive, some of them, the 355,000 words. Mm -hmm. It's because you need that to connect all these apparently unconnectable or unconnecting dots, which are fundamentally connected. And there's so much more we could talk about, David. But, I mean, as you say, we don't, we don't have nine hours now, obviously. Um, but tell us a little bit about Remember Who You Are, because your latest book touches on not just the geopolitical situation, which we've spoken about for quite some time now, but it touches on the spiritual side of things. And I suppose the rabbit hole goes deeper and deeper again because it ties in aspects such, and this, this will be foreign to many, many listeners, such as the Saturn Moon Matrix and what's really going on outside of, I suppose, our conscious. And it, it talks about the subconscious and goes into quite a lot of universal concepts as opposed to our five sense reality yeah well five sense reality is the prison um it, it's it's by uh, a self identity of purely the five sense self 
that people think they're Ethel that works at the store. I have no power. Mm. Um, but if, they, if people realize who they really are, um, the body, I call it a, a biological computer. Increasingly, there are some scientists who are going down that road too. Uh, and I left school at 15 to go and play football. You know, you, you, can, you can educate yourself and you can, you can uncover these things yourself. You do not need, in fact, one of the worst things that can happen is a long period in the education system because we can all program from its version of, of everything. Um, but I call it a biological computer and I call it body-mind. And body-mind is basically the five senses and a little bit beyond them. Uh, and 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 our um, lower emotions, uh, all surrounding fear and 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 all the emotions that come from them, all the hatred, all the conflict comes within this body computer uh, reality overwhelmingly. But what we are are infinite awareness, um, having that experience. Um, however, if you can pull here, we go again. If you can pull someone's point of attention from the expanse of I am infinite awareness having an experience through a five sense uh, a vehicle into only the five sense vehicle. Now, you have got someone in terms of their point of attention, not uh, only um, in the world, but of the world. Because um, when you uh, are having an experience, but you are aware of your true self, you are in the world, you're interacting with it through the body, but you're not of this world in terms of the point from which you're observing it. So you're seeing things. You're on top of the hill looking down on the town. You're not stood uh, staring at a brick from half an inch away. Mm. So you can see what, what, what you can't see in that state. And the whole system, John, is including the education system, science, and all these other th institutions. They are designed to pull our point of attention into the five senses and the five senses overwhelmingly alone um, and religion does this they call it spiritual but it's 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 about five senses overwhelmingly and and anyone that expands their awareness and starts talking about other dimensions and 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 uh, the illusory nature of reality most of the people in the religions will call them kind of uh, satan and all that stuff so you know people are defending their own prison you know that uh, scene in the Matrix where Morpheus and Neo are walking down the street dodging people and there's a shot yeah. of a person yeah. given a ticket and you know paraphrase Morpheus but he says basically these people are so inert so what I would say programmed that they are defending their own prison and fighting to defend it that's what the, that's what the people in the military are doing John they're fighting to defend their own prison f on behalf of the people that have imposed the prison it's crazy but if you don't see the bigger picture then you you can work out some rationale in your mind for doing it oh we've got to stop bin laden well bin laden was on the the payroll of the CIA for uh, decades, and uh, 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 not least during the Russian or Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. I mean, oh, please. And so, remember who you are is about remembering, because that's what it is. We are being manipulated to forget. We're in an amnesic state, um, forgetting our true nature and believing what we're told we are. Uh, remember who you are is remembering the true self and when you do your whole life changes 
because your point of perspective has changed. You're moved. You've moved your point of perspective from facing the brick to looking at the town from the top of the hill. The world doesn't look the same. You and your potential no longer look the same. And this is the worst nightmare of this network, that we remember who we are. That's why I say remembering who you are is the revolution because everything comes from that. When you start to remember who you are, you start to open your heart to the true intelligence, the true source of intelligence, which is the heart. This is where we get our intuitive knowing from. You know, when people say, I just know, I just know, they don't put their hands to their head. They put their hands to their chest. I just know. Why? Because instinctively, the body response is following where that is coming from, which is the heart. And I don't mean the physical heart, though that's an expression of it. I'm talking about the energetic, what we might call the spiritual heart. Because the, the so-called physical body is just a hologram. Even some scientists are now beginning to see the blooming obvious and realize that it's holographic. This whole so-called physical reality is holographic. Um, and... Um, the, it's an expression, you know, the holographic level is like a movie screen. And we need to um, deal with what's being projected on that screen and change that. And then the, the, the movie changes in our lives collectively and individually. So um, when we um, open our heart and move our point of observing and perceiving everything from purely the brain, to the heart, then we start to access a, a, an innate intelligence, which is beyond thinking. When you say, I, I, inche- I just in- intuitively know, or I intuitively feel, you, you've, intuition has not gone through a thought process of working it out. Um, the mind, which is very low level of thought, um, does not go well. Um, I'm going to go there tomorrow, that's it. It's like, okay, let's look at the options. If I go there, what's the consequences of going there? I've got to break that appointment. Um, And then, oh, I've got to organize a train ticket to go there. That's going to be a hassle. No, it, it goes through this process of thought, whereas intuition says, I just know I've got to be there tomorrow. I know it. And it goes there. And when it goes there, in my experience anyway, there's something happens as a result of following that intuition, which um, is helpful to your life and your understanding and everything, which you would not have gleaned had you gone with a head that said, nah, it's too much hassle, I'm not going. Um, and, and it's, a, it's a, a whole new way of interacting with the world. And this is where synchronicity comes from. You know, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, talked mm-hmm. about synchronicity where people call it in another way, amazing coincidence. You'll never guess, mate, who was there when I got there. You'll never guess. Just as I got there, this happened. It was unbelievable. That's synchronicity. And synchronicity goes into overdrive when we get the head out of the way. Not completely, but we put it in its place and we go with our intuition. Because when people start to do that, a life of no coincidence synchronicity becomes a life of constant 
coincidence synchronicity because you are getting the block out of their way oh no i, I I've, I've made an appointment to be there tomorrow i can't go there you've got that out of the way which is blocking the flow that you go with to to make these synchronistic amazing coincidences happen and you flow with them the, you know the, the intuition goes I don't care if I have got an appointment. I gotta be there tomorrow. I know it. Yeah. Then life ceases to be a drudge and something to survive, and it starts to become an adventure because you're letting the adventure happen. Because the mind, as opposed to what I call the greater self, which I call consciousness, um, it's like a computer. It's um, it likes everything in its place. It don't like things to change much. Oh, we always have fish on Friday. Why? Well, we've always had fish on Friday. We'll have it on a Thursday, mate. You know, just <laughs> give yourself a chance to break out of it. That is what stops synchronicity happening in your life. But when you get that out of the way and you go with your heart, your knowing, then your life starts to starts to change that is what they are terrified of they are terrified of mavericks and who are mavericks mavericks are people that go with their heart and they don't know what they're going to do next never mind anybody else and these families that are behind this are incredibly robotic they're incredibly computer-like and software-like and not only are they terrified of mavericks because they know that that's a level that they can't access, um, a level of awareness, a level of potential they can't access. They don't understand mavericks because they don't have the ability to, to free flow like that. And if you look at society, John, and increasingly it's going more and more like that all the time, mm -hmm. it is an expression of their state of being. They're obsessed with hierarchy. They're obsessed with structure and rules and regulations and all the rest of it. If you look at um, a ritual, repeating ritual, if you look at the British royal family, which are a genetic expression of these bloodlines uh, and their network, all that pomp and ceremony, all that stuff where they're in the same palace in a different part of the country at the same time every year. They're up in Balmoral now, uh, I suppose. It's their time in Balmoral. Yes. And, 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 you know, now we're having the changing of the guard at this time. Oh, no, not that time, this time. And all this <coughs> ritual that goes on in royal weddings and all this stuff, that is absolute classic uh, uh, expressions of their mentality where everything has to run like clockwork and everything has to be structured and everything's hierarchic. You know this thing where um, after the... Um, uh, Queen's Jubilee, Diamond Jubilee, mm. the Queen announced that um, uh, William's uh, wife, uh, Kate Middleton, n now has to curtsy to the um, daughters of Prince Andrew because yes. the Queen has just um, realigned the order of hierarchy. So you curtsy at her and she bows at, he bows at you and all that stuff. That's classic, the mentality of these bloodlines behind this whole uh, conspiracy. And thus, society expressed their mind. And what are they doing all the time? 
through things like political correctness, which is absolutely their creation through an organization called the Frankfurt School that came out of the uh, out of the, the the Rothschilds, the Rothschild Zionists in uh, in Frankfurt, and then moved to eventually California, from where, of course, political correctness overwhelmingly came out of. That's to suppress people so they can't express their view. They can't express their spontaneity uh, and all this stuff. So you have people in some councils. They don't say we're going to have a brainstorming session because that might upset people with epilepsy. We're going to have – we could call them – thought showers and all this stuff and people with epilepsy say we don't bloody mind we don't connect the two oh well we don't want to upset you it's not about not upsetting minorities it's about suppressing the ability of people to express themselves and you look at everything it's almost impossible these days to go through a working day or a day without breaking some kind of law knowingly or unknowingly there was a law passed, a new law, every three hours during the 10 years of Blair in, in, in Downing Street. And so it's gone on. And these laws and regulations are all to suppress our ability to be spontaneous, our ability to express our uniqueness, ability to follow our intuition. Because they want to put us in a mental, emotional, spiritual and physical prison. And that's what this is all about. And that's why the world's going in the Orwellian direction that it is so fast. And that's exactly it, David. I, mean, I can remember from being back in school as early as then, being very, very frustrated by, I suppose, being almost forced to conform or to be in a specific box because somebody told me that was the way it was done. And I, my experience in school was that it was a very suppressing environment. Um, personally, I'd be quite a creative person and... I would like to think outside of boxes. That wasn't, I mean, not only was that not encouraged, that was outright forbidden in the school that I went to. And I think that's repeated throughout, not just the education system, but society, as you've said, in general. And it's real, I don't know, our complex thinking to, to suppress the creative side or the emotional side or even the spiritual side of people. All these, the feeling is almost to be overridden by the thought. And for me, there should be harmony between the two. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you sat down uh, many decades ago now and said, how do we take spontaneous children full of wonder about the world with mm -hmm. endless potential? How do we take those children and turn them into the adults that we need to um, run and people our system of conformity and control. You would say, well, if we could get them away from the parents as early as possible and put them under our control, being told our version of reality and our version of who they are for um, decades uh, from being a small child, there uh, and... We will reward them if they tell the exam paper what we've told them to believe, and we will uh, punish them if they don't with not passing. Um, then we'll, we won't get all of them. Some of these plumbing humans, they can be so <laughs> maverick, you know. But we'll get most of them, and we'll have the adults we want. Now, what do children learn from school? One, they learn that truth comes from authority 
they learn that intelligence is the ability to remember and repeat. They learn that an accurate memory and repeating what you've remembered are the way to intelligence and reward. That non-compliance with this system is punished and that you need to conform intellectually and socially. Um, And what school is, let's take away all the other stuff that hides this fact. What school is, is a prison. It's a prison. It's a prison that allows you to go home for uh, for a few hours before you come back compulsory. Uh, it's like it's like being a prisoner who's electronically tagged that has to report to the police station uh, uh, once or twice a day. Only instead of you know the guy going to the police station and having to sign that he's been uh, there and goes home, the children stay in the prison even longer. And uh, you have prison warders called teachers. And their job is to tell the children to believe what the curriculum, i.e. the state, has told them to believe. And if they do that, they get uh, advancement to become head teachers or whatever. And if they don't do that and encourage the children to think for themselves, then they're out the door very quickly. And there's another um, advancement of that now, of course, where the people that control the banking system are the same people ultimately, these network of families that control the education system. And so now they've got two for one. They've got uh, young people going into virtually lifelong debt to pay for their own programming at university uh, on money lent to them by the banks. And because uh, by the time they leave, they are a mortgage amount in debt, mm. then have to serve the system and do the system's bidding if they are going to earn the money to pay the system back for their programming. This is how far we've gone. And I say to young people, what are you going to university for? What are you going to university for? Okay, there's some things that I want to be this, I want to be that. I have to go to university. I understand that. But why are so many people going to university? Oh, well... Well, that's what you do in it. You go to university. But why are you going? What course are you going to take? Well, I've not decided yet. Well, why are you going then? You know, I left school at 15. You know, I've written written 20 books. I've spoke, spoken to people all over the world about these very complex subjects. Not because I'm super intelligent, but because I've educated myself in my time on my terms. Exactly. The system's terms. And... I don't owe the banks a penny in paying for my education. Not a penny. You can do it yourself. Don't listen to the system when it tells you you must do this and this is the way it is. You go to school, you pass exams, and then you go to university. Don't tell them. Or don't accept that when they tell you that. Go your own way. Express your own uniqueness. Be the only you, not a clone of everybody else and a system that can only control us en masse if we're all clone-like and sheep-like. Well, I think if people take nothing else from our chat here today, David, that is the crux of what they should really take on board because 
as you say, we are, uh, we are all expressions of the universe experiencing ourselves at the moment. So, for example, I'm not necessarily John Gibbons or what people would perceive as John Gibbons. I'm just the universe, I suppose, experiencing some time as the entity known as John Gibbons. And I think we lose sight of what it is we truly are and what we can be. And that ties in with the title of your book, Remember Who You Are, because when I began my own journey not so long ago, maybe three or four years ago, I was a completely different person to the person I am now and nobody else made me who I am now. I did it myself and will continue to do so as long as uh, as long as I'm experiencing this 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 journey, I suppose. So I think your words are poignant and they're well, there will be a lot of people out there who will want more. So tell us first off about the current book and then tell us about Wembley. Well, remember who you are is is about um that who are we where are we um what is the nature of reality but there is a heck of a lot because i'm a dot connector uh explaining all the subjects we've talked about uh, today and, and and a lot more in terms of the the current events that people are experiencing and the background to world events um what i wanted to do john with wembley and you know we took a big financial gamble with it big big you know we can't mess around anymore we've got to go for it you know this thing's moving fast yeah um uh was to give people the opportunity to gather in 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 large numbers many thousands uh, i mean we've got five and a half thousand seats um to make uh, a a statement that something's happening here something's changing people are, are starting to look at life in a different way and and they're even going to listen to that nutter I and mean, what's going on and and also to say we're not having it anymore we're not having this uh suppression and this manipulation anymore and and also you know when you get together thousands of people together with with open minds um i can tell you from doing it all over the world the energy that's generated is absolutely fantastic yeah. and that doesn't go nowhere it goes out you know i mean um when you put something um into the energy field it can affect large numbers of people who pick that up i mean people think that there is empty space between us but that's only from the five sense level of perception what we call visible light which is a tiny tiny band of frequency which is the only frequency band that we can see with our eyes or decode with our eyes um, but actually if you go deeper into the energy field there is an energetic sea a universal field that is connecting all of us and at that level this um, energy that's created at this event goes out at that level into the electromagnetic field into the ether or whatever you want to call it and um, it changes the nature of the sea because the conspiracy is about controlling that sea of energy which they know exists and and, and they're working it all the time they want to fill that sea with um, low vibrational human emotion, um, uh, fear, anger, hatred, conflict. Because if you, you know, it's a simple question how do you affect all the fish at the same time? You affect the sea and then you affect all the fish because they're swimming in it. Well, we're moving around all the time in this energetic sea, this electromagnetic field, uh, and what some people call the, the, the ether beyond it. And uh, therefore, the nature of that sea impacts upon us you know when you go into a, a house where they've been there's been an enormous amount of negative things maybe murders and all the rest of it um you go in there and people go 
cool. I don't like this. It's, oh, it's horrible. I want to leave here. Oh, I don't like it. What they're doing is picking up the, quote, atmosphere. And what is the atmosphere? It is the, uh, the thought, the mental and emotional energy in the energetic field where they are. When you go to a football match and there's a big crowd, people say, oh, the hairs on my neck stood up. Well, what is that? That's generated by an electromagnetic field, which is generated by the excitement of the crowd. And it's in this electromagnetic level and beyond energetically that this whole conspiracy is orchestrated. What we see is just the movie screen of that orchestration, that energetic level. And so... um, when we go on protests with anger and hatred about those we're protesting against, understandable as that is in places like Greece, we are actually adding to the field of low vibrational distorted emotion mm-hmm. that we want to fill the energy field with. And again, when you open your heart, you stop doing that. It doesn't mean you run away and you don't stand up. You stand up more because one thing that the heart doesn't have is fear. Heart will always do what it knows to be right, not what it thinks is right for it in the moment. The brain does that. And therefore, um, an an event like Wembley can have an enormous um, impact, even on the global energy field. And I'm not kidding, because... um, the the earth is 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 interpenetrated and circled with with a, a vast network of energetic force lines some people call call them um, uh, ley lines other people call them meridian lines the chinese call them dragon lines etc and where a lot of these lines cross a massive vortex is thrown up of energy which um if you can impact upon that vortex that that change goes out down the lines which this, uh, th- through which the energy is spinning from the vortex and impacts upon the energy field of the earth in general, therefore the sea we're living in. And London is a major, major center of this global grid. That's a key, and so is Rome, and that's why they, these families um, he- uh, uh, build their main centers on these earth energetic major points. This is why the Olympics was in London at this time, following on from the uh, Diamond Jubilee of the Queen, when there was lots of ritual and massive crowds in London and all the rest of it. And the opening and closing ceremonies, won't go into them now, it's a program in itself, but they were orchestrated to to play the uh, uh, the energy, for instance, you know, I'm talking about focuses of attention. At the point where that Olympic flame came together in that uh, very unique way that it did uh, at the end of the closing ceremony, yeah. billions of people worldwide, not just the 80,000 in the stadium, billions of people worldwide were focused upon that flame. And there's a very true uh, line that goes, energy flows where attention goes. You know, when you can have somebody, I was doing a radio interview the other day and the the host was saying, talking about the fact that um, he felt someone's uh, was looking at him. He says, I felt like the eyes in the, in the ear, you know, stuck in my back. He said, and I turned around and there was someone staring at me. Well, obviously it wasn't the eyes of the person that he was feeling. It was the person's 
focus of attention, which yes. takes an energetic form. And thus you feel it within your energetic field. It comes through to the, 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 the conscious uh, if you like senses and you think oh, someone's looking at me and you turn around this is where so much of this uh, so-called paranormal and and, um, and and all this other stuff comes from it comes from uh, information entering at the electromagnetic level and coming through to the conscious mind and you think well where did that come from it came out of nowhere it didn't it came into the conscious mind from the electromagnetic level and, and I, so I, I think it could you, even be argued David that th- there is no such thing as paranormal there's just what we are aware of and what we're not aware of because everybody experiences these things which means they're normal to me the paranormal John as it's called takes us into those levels that awaken us that is why the system has marginalized the normal that they don't want people to know about and they call it the paranormal and blood gore suffering are the norm the normal mm. i say to people if you do you think this world is sane yeah well please call me insane because if you think i'm sane i've got such a problem you know how can you how can how can we be happy about being called sane by a world that's clinically insane. So w- when you think about the eyes on the back example, you, uh, and someone feels it and turns around, imagine the energy generated by the focus of billions of people on that flame. Now on the electromagnetic level, on the deeper level beyond that of, of, of uh, non-form energy, they trawl that because they know what they're doing. Because this is not just about a network of families in human form. It's about things that go much deeper than that. And uh, I go into that in, in great detail as well. Well, David, I must say I'm very excited about the October event, October 27th in Wembley Arena. Tickets available on ticketmaster.co.uk. And of course, people can get your books through your site, davidike.com. That's correct, yeah? Right, yeah. David Ike, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Thanks for joining me. No doubt we shall speak again. Yeah, we, you, we need far more people like you who, who actually stand up and give people a, a voice, mate. Thank you and, you know, all the best in the future. Alchemy Radio.
stand as one, 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 stand as one.